is time for another episode of Star Trek MTT, Megan's Top 20. Uh, we're up to episode 10, I believe. This is uh, the midway point. Yeah. Last, uh, last one, not the last one, but the one before that was a... Honorable mention. Yeah. Uh, we should also mention that we're... Pro- I meant to mention this on our other podcast, uh, the Rock Starring podcast, but we're probably going to be taking next week off because mm-hmm. we have to take a trip down to Florida. Yeah. Yeah, we're gonna be taking next week off. <laughs> yeah, we gotta take a trip down to see our friends. Yeah. Um, so it, we won't be here next week. Uh, hopefully, we'll be back by the week after. But who knows? Life is. Life is crazy. Life is crazy. <sighs> if only I could win the lottery, then I'd have all the time in the world. Or if I could get hired, if someone would buy my scripts or fund my films, I'd have all the time in the world, but who knows? You know, if anybody, if I ever did strike it rich, and someone goes back and looks through these paws, and you're like, he's such a whiny bastard. <laughs> what a bitch. Constantly <laughs> whining that no one's giving him enough money to make his movies, now that he's a billionaire? Fucking asshole. <laughs> what <laughs> a whiny bitch. I know. <laughs> it's okay. My mom used to call me that anyways. <laughs> uh, Alright, so today is uh, um... Today is an episode about, uh, an episode I actually wasn't able to detect. The first time that's happened. Yeah, he literally took them until, I guess, the second act. Yeah, to realize. It wasn't until I saw the uh, the iconic Fasarius ship, which is apparently a plaster of Paris with a bunch of ping pong balls glued to it. Yeah. uh, uh, That the glowing ball of balls uh, shit for me to realize. Until he saw balls, (laughs) he didn't recognize the episode. But the episode we're doing is the Corbomite Maneuver, uh, which is a fairly famous episode. Very iconic. I'm going to be 100% honest here, and I'm going to use this to lead into a different change to our format for this episode where you tell you why you picked this episode before we talk about it. Yeah. I actually don't love this episode. (laughs) I don't hate it. It's still a solid episode, but I have to admit for the longest time, it bothered me how wrong everything in this episode could go if it wasn't a human crew with Kirk as captain. So when he's being tested. Yeah. So I, I, I have to admit, I didn't actually love this episode when I first saw it. And even rewatching it with you, my love of it didn't go up that much. Yeah. So I'm going to use that to, again, I still think it's a good episode. No, no knocks against the episode. The I like series. it because it's a slow burn, honestly. Okay. Yeah, I'll admit that. I, I, I like in episodes that show the crew being intelligent. Hmm. And yeah, they weren't perfect in this episode. And it, this is one of my favorite episodes, but it's not close to my favorite. We technically already did my favorite original series episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know it sounds weird to say to say this in the later episode, but this, like I said, these aren't in order. Yeah, these aren't twenty to one her top twenty. It's just that these are twenty episodes. If anything, she loves. this would be on the lower end mm-hmm. of the list here. It just happens to technically be in the middle, and ironically, it premiered the day after today. Today we're recording it, 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 November. It, we're recording November 9th, yeah. and it premiered November tenth, nineteen sixty six. Yeah. But I really like this episode because it, ju- it demonstrated smart thinking. It's kind of like, this is like the prelude to my earlier episode with Balance of Terror. This is actually, according to IMDb, this is the second episode after the second pilot to be filmed. Yeah. But it took extra time because of all the special effects with the ship work. Yeah. So it ended up being like number seven or eight on the list. Yeah. Which is it interesting. It's one of the reasons why... Pre- pre- 
pre-production. Yeah, and there's a lot of firsts in this. Yeah. A lot of firsts, which is kind of ironic because they're supposed to be even earlier in the story setting where, uh, Uhura, uh, for example, this is the first time we see uh, Sulu at the helm. Yeah. Because uh, up till now in his he first... Was been, uh, he was a science, science officer. officer but yeah. there wasn't any need... Astrophysicist, technically. There wasn't yeah. any need for him to be an astrophysicist. But they need in every episode. But they always need a helmsman. And you can understand how an astrophysicist might have... You might have astrophysics training yeah. you're at the helm of a starship. Yeah. It worked <clears throat> out. It worked um, out. And also, her, she's in a yellow uniform, which I before like. Before she trades, it's like her command track. Before yeah. she traded in for... The red uniform. Red uniform, which is uh, Communication. security, communications, and, and engineering. And engineering, which I guess communications would fall under. Yeah. And then, um, of course, blue is science, sciences. Yeah. And then there's also, throughout Star Trek, been green uniforms, the occasional black uniform. Yeah. Uh, white uniforms, so yeah. it, it all depends. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but I liked seeing her in yellow. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, this is also the first appearance of the iconic I'm not a doctor, I'm a doctor, not a blank yeah. line, although it's not exactly. But it's a little different. It's a little different, but this is the first time it ever appeared. He goes, "What I'm supposed to be a doctor, not a moon uh, orbital pilot or something like that. Something like that. And it's not phrased exactly like it would be later, but most people count it as the first. Uh, it's also the first appearance of Spock's Fascinating. Yeah. Um, and also, uh, ironically... It mentions... Spock mentions that he has a human mother in this episode. Yeah, it clarifies it. Because yeah. he mentioned in the original... In, in the second pilot... Yeah. He mentioned that one of his ancestors had had taken a human mate. But he had never mentioned that it was his father. Yeah. Uh, it also is the first episode to contain Kirk's famous space. The final frontier opening. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, it's... It's a it's an episode of many firsts. Yeah, uh, and it is That's an interesting. Part one. of the reason why it's also I Clint Howard's first appearance yeah. in Star Trek, and he does show up two more times. We'll talk about that when we get to him. Yeah, but yeah, it's part of the reason why I picked this is because it was a very in, uh, a monumental episode. It's not the best of Star Trek, but when Star when the original series is like on, it's really on, and this is one of those episodes that leads to what would be the best of Star Trek, in my personal opinion. It's a mm -hmm. linchpin episode, which yeah. sounds weird because I know it's like seven or eight or whatever, but it's a linchpin episode. This would lead to the tone of the other episodes, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. uh, agreed. Uh, I, I can understand that. I can see where it leads to those. Yeah. Uh, this is literally proto-Balance of Terror to me. <laughs> Uh, uh, so the episode opens with Spock in command, and no explanation as to why, yeah. uh, at the time anyway. Which is interesting, we get to see Spock dealing with him, and then a, a, a four-sided Rubik's Cube, a six-sided Rubik's Cube, yeah. in space, flies at them. You gotta watch out for those things. If yeah. you can't pull the sticker, a fully off. a fully solved Rubik's cube. That's why Spock didn't like it. Yeah, it was there was illogical. no challenge. There was no challenge. It was, it was already done. It was illogical that it was already uh, fully formed like that. <laughs> I said, "Watch out for the six sided die. It's gonna throw damage at you." <laughs> uh -huh. Um, so yeah, uh, and um, I, I like how Spock handles it. He he follows procedure. He yeah. tries to see if he can get away from it. Uh, when it seems like it has uh, intentions to hit them, yeah, uh, it slows down. Uh, it slows down. It stops in front of them and uh, matches their maneuvers. And he sounds a red alert, but this is not the red alert where they have the siren. Yeah. It's just a. I think it was a general red alert. A general red alert where the light is just flashing, and then we get the uh, the opening uh, credits. Yeah. And because they're stopped, they're stopped dead in space because the probe is right in front of them. Yeah. 
And um, we get the credits. Uh, and then after the credits, we get uh, the voiceover from Kirk where he explains that he is getting his uh, yearly physical. Yeah, his physical. <laughs> and he's doing a, like a, a stair-stepping thing but on his back over his head, which I imagine would be really painful after a while because yeah. you got to lift your legs up in addition to lift you know all that stuff. Pushing up against gravity. And Dr. McCoy seems to be enjoying this too much. Yeah, he's like, enjoying torturing him a bit. Yeah. He's, he's, sto- he's like, he stops for a He's like, just... he, if he had just done this a week earlier, like I suggested, yeah. I don't think he says that, but it's implied. It's implied. <laughs> and then he looks over, he's examining, he looks over and sees the light, fl- red light flash, and he just goes back to examining him. Yeah. And then it's, the thing I like, though, is as soon as Kirk is told he can stop, the first thing he does when he sits up is look up and see the light. Yeah. And then immediately jumps into Kirk captain mode. There's yeah. a red light. He goes red over. Alert, clicks the view screen and asks Spock what's going on. Yeah, and then as soon as that's done, he goes and talks to McCoy. Why didn't you tell me the light was flashing? You surely saw it. And that's when we get the, the the McCoy, I'm a doctor, not a blank line, but not quite refined enough. But yeah. still, it's the basic Close setup. Uh, then I like that as soon as Kirk was in the, uh, the the turbo lift, he asked Spock if there was any direct threat at the first. And if when Spock says, no, he's not acting aggressively, he's just sitting there, this probe... He goes, okay, I'm going to go change first. But I get yeah. the impression that if it had been a legitimate situation... He would have gone there with his... Shirtless and sweaty, just because that's where... dirty ass shirt. That's where he needs to be if yeah. there's a serious issue. Yeah. Uh, then uh, we, we skipped over the introduction of Bailey, which is the only episode for Bailey, but he is a heavy part of it, where yeah. Bailey has clearly been... It's, we established later that Bailey has recently been upped, uh, up-jumped in yeah. rank. And a lot of the crew think he's probably been up-jumped a little too quickly. McCoy yeah. definitely does. I get the impression Kirk Spock does. The, Kirk is the only one that thinks he has the... The potential up, to reach his... And that's why he... To reach, what, lieutenant? Uh, uh, this early in his career. Yeah, basically. And he, he's the only one that believes he, he has the ability to take... To fill that role. To fill his role, In yeah. spite of how young he's supposed to be, which he doesn't look that much younger than most of the other crew to me, but whatever. Yeah, <laughs> Um, this isn't Wesley Crusher age. Like no. he's like in the in the two thousand nine reboot. Like the young young Chekhov is literally like sixteen, and he's on the bridge running weapons. <laughs> so well, this he, guy looks at he least twenty two. Certified genius in that version, though. Yeah, well, this one he's spoke the guy Bailey's supposed to be. It looks like he's at least twenty five or twenty two, well, the youngest. So. Like I said, I, I think it's established. Like like they established that Kirk literally like McCoy's like well does he he reminds you of you 11 years ago and I'm assuming that they're thinking that humans take longer to age well here's the thing (laughs) I I honestly wish they would establish that you can join Starfleet at any point in your life in the show yeah because human technology at this point the the reason why there's a cutoff age of 35 in the military in the modern era is because one we don't have near perfect health care for anybody yeah and two um, if you get to a certain age it's a little hard for you to survive boot camp but in Star Trek I imagine their boot camps are a lot more mental than they are physical and I also under although I'm sure they do have to be put through their physical paces but not as much as like our parents especially depending on which command like which track they do yeah but I mean like I doubt even security would have it as hard as our dads did in their boot camps And two, I also believe that uh, because technology for health is so good and free to everyone in this future, that which it's, pos- it's possible that you could live to be two or three hundred years old as yeah. a human. Like, like McCoy you... is still alive in the first episode of Next Generation, and this is a hundred years later, and he was already a pretty old man when he joined Starfleet. Yeah. 
I mean, that's the only real indication we get is that McCoy is much, much older. McCoy but is, like, is, like, kind of the age bracket thing. Yeah, but yeah. I'm just... A, I yeah. just wish they would come out and say it. That yeah. if you're... If you pass certain uh, mental tests to prove that you're still cognitively there, yeah. you can join at any point in your life. Like, mm-hmm. that would be the only... Rec- I would, if I was writing Star Trek, I would do that. Yeah. Because the idea that you might... Because humans go through phases. There are times when... One of the reasons why getting stuck in one job you don't like for your entire life tends to wear people out is because we don't we, we are naturally curious creatures. We would like to do other positions, but you can't risk losing your income. You can't yeah. switch to another job that easily in this era. But in a future where there are no real jobs, just careers, and yeah. that you can live to be 300, I imagine we'd be jumping jobs quite a yeah. bit. I mean, if you want to, you can be in a restaurant. If you want to, you can join Starfleet. If you... You could become a part of cargo ships and stuff yeah. like that. Well, here's the thing. I would assume what I mean by this is like if Benjamin Sisko's dad yeah. decided just to shut down his restaurant and join Starfleet as a medic, yeah. they would let him do it as long as they even what at age he's at, as long as they he passed certain mental tests yeah. and was scanned enough to show that physically he's not going to have a heart attack on his first mission. Yeah. Uh, but in modern military, they have to have just a cutoff age because our scanning equipment isn't that refined no and you have to have a limit to like how old you can be to join it's just the way it is you guys have to pass certain physical things like i could never join the military because i was always too fat my body fat was way too high i fought it my whole life but i was always too heavy to join and now i'm too old which is unfortunate uh but anyway uh i just think it would have been nice if they commented that bailey joined a few years later than most people do he wasn't right out of high school he joined in his 20s so 25 and at the helm or at the security he's navigator 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 and i guess he also handles weapons because that's the same post checkoff handles later yeah um that posting is a little too early for him in his career not necessarily his age i wish they had commented on that but again it's me back writing a 50 plus year old show this is this is stuff you don't think about in the 1960s yeah this episode came out 54 years ago almost to the day Mm -hmm. i i really a little too late to to do rewrites both of us it's a little too late to do rewrites on the script uh (laughs) it's almost as old as our combined age is yes Uh, so, uh, but then uh, Bailey had kind of a, a nervous reaction when the the probe first showed up, and he said, and Spock noticed that, and then Spock he he basically told, told him, him he was stop yelling, stop yelling, and then and this scene when Kirk is on the way to the bridge, uh, he goes Bailey says, Mister Spock, I was not scared, I was yelling because there's this thing called adrenaline that humans have, and then Spock says, Oh, really? It sounds most most cumbersome. You should have it removed. <laughs> Which was a nice insult for Spock, and I that loved, was funny. <laughs> and then Sulu backed him up. He's like, "You try to match which with Spock, you're gonna get your you're gonna get cut to pieces every time." Yeah, that was a good Sulu line. Yeah, that was a good Sulu moment. Um, mm-hmm. And then Kirk shows up, and he gets another insult from Kirk. Yeah, well, I can't remember what the second insult is though. No, <laughs> uh, I, I'm sorry to say, but it was a good one. Uh, Kirk cut him to the quick. Yeah. Um, Oh, I remember what it was. Uh, he goes, sir, I would, I, we have phasers, sir. Why don't we just blast the thing? And he goes, what, oh, Bailey yeah. says this without, without any provocation. He just mentions it. And, he's and like, then Kirk, I'll take that in mind when this becomes a democracy. Which is a nice moment. Yeah. I like that. Uh, and then we get uh, the, 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 the cast all had great chemistry. Yeah. Uh, even this early, they had good chemistry. Yeah, yeah. They, Especially Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. Yeah, can, those three were 
really well with each other. All of them had good chemistry, though. But yeah. those three in particular had phenomenal chemistry. But we already know this. People yeah. have dissected this for years. It's just that we've mentioned in every single Star Trek reviewed. And you said reviewed, this was filmed, like, very early on, This was, right? like, the second episode they filmed. Yeah. So them having this good of chemistry this early on? Technically the third, if you count the original pilot. But that didn't have most of these crew members. No, just no, Spock. It was different. It was different. But um, having them act this well with each other is, uh, even this early on, doesn't happen often. Usually cast members are very awkward and stiff with each other the first time. Well, one thing we've commented on repeatedly in all of the Star Treks is that they got really lucky with all their cast. Because yes. most of them had really good chemistry fairly out early on. Even I would actually Discovery has yeah, its moments. Has its moments. I would actually say DS9, of the Five, yeah. I would say, well, Enterprise is the worst. We're counting Enterprise. They have the worst chemistry at yeah. the start. But not counting Enterprise of the four, I would say probably DS9 actually took them the longest to really yeah. gel yes, um, as did. a group. Which makes sense in the In show. most cases. Like, no, yeah. uh, him even and his son Marf, did great. Yeah, even, yeah, those two did really well. But even, like, when Michael Dorn came in, that's when the cast seemed to loosen up a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I enjoy that. <laughs> So uh, <laughs> Kirk gets chased by the the space cube, uh, the space Rubik's cube. Damn! <laughs> uh, and it starts blasting radiation at him. So and he has, so it starts blasting. <laughs> Sorry. And so he has no choice but to blow it up. Uh, at which point uh, he uh, stops the the ship, and you know they start doing. They have to decide if they're going to move forward or continue onward. And then he tells. Bailey, Bailey was ordered to fire, and he was clearly react. First of all, he was reacting nervously before he was ordered to fire. We just and told suddenly, to leave. he was clearly frozen in the moment because he was distracted by this object coming at them at a really high speed. Well, and it was blasting them with radiation. And it was blasting them with dangerous radiation. And they only had seconds left before they got lethal doses. Yeah. So then uh, Sulu leans over and locks in the coordinates and fires for him. Yeah. Which was probably embarrassing for Bailey, but you know he. Sulu was badass in this episode. Yeah, Sulu never got much, but he did good with what he what had. He in this did, one. What he had, he he did good. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, so once the 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 thing is blown up, uh, Kirk orders Bailey and Engineering to go through several drills because they took forever to get firing done. Yeah. And while they're doing that, Kirk decides to go downstairs back to his quarters and get a moment to rest. Yeah. And McCoy follows him and basically starts berating him about up jumping Bailey. You yeah. should have taken more time with him. He's a little too inexperienced. Listen to his orders being given over the command channel. It's it's I think before this, there was actually a Kirk and Spock uh, scene as well, where he seemed to be asking, like, Spock for advice. And then he's like, why are you asking me advice when you've already made up your mind? And, yeah, it was whether, and this led to the drills. Yeah, it was whether or not they should continue further on into the... Because this area, it's established at the beginning of the episode that this is an area that no ship has from the Federation been. has ever been to. And as a result of that, they have to make sure they, uh, they, they... They're cautious. They're cautious, but he doesn't know if he should continue forward or if he should go back to Starfleet and report that this area is dangerous. And, of course, Kirk, being the adventurer, wants to go forward. Yeah. So uh, Spock, he asks Spock, and then Spock says what Megan said, and then his response is, it gives me emotional security. <laughs> this <laughs> is a great line. You. And then, of course, afterwards we have the Kirk and McCoy scene. Where, where McCoy basically berates him for up-jumping Bailey, and then the yeoman comes in. And I have to say... I didn't like the yeoman thing. Yeoman Rand, I think, is her name. Yeah. And it's not that I don't like the Atrix. I'm just saying I just don't like the position that they created for her. Yeah, especially which since Which is they, basically a glorified waitress. Yeah, especially <laughs> since they, they specifically say in this episode, Kirk says, well, I, I'll punch whoever assigned me a female yeoman. 
And then in Implying McCoy, he wanted a male yeoman? Well, not only that, McCoy's <laughs> response is, oh, what, you don't trust yourself, Jim? Which, even joking about that feels a little awkward. It's so awkward. I know it's 66, but it feels awkward to us, man. Yeah. <laughs> Men in positions of power taking advantage of women underneath their positions of power? That never happens uh, in any time period. So why would it not but be funny? We, we can ignore that because yeah. that stuff was all awkward any time it happened in the first season. Yeah, by all accounts, uh, the, the crew of the Starship, of all the crews of all the Starship Enterprises or all the Star Treks, for the most part, have been made up of genuinely nice people. Yeah. There have been a few oddities here and there. Yeah. But most of them were good people. Yeah. So I can I don't have to feel awkward about it like I do watching the Cosby show these days. Yeah. Uh, so in any event, um, while in the middle of the, the drills, they get to 94%. Spock, uh, he, Kirk tells them, let's go for 100%. Spock says he agrees. And then during the second run of drills, they get an actual red, uh, red alert emergency. And it's not an emergency. I mean, it's not a drill. It's an emergency. You yeah, because... Everybody uh, this, needs to get into position. This is when the ping pong ball sh- ship shows up. <laughs> the uh, balls. Yeah. <laughs> the balls. And they show up, and basically they outmatch the Enterprise in every possible way. Uh, there's a great shot in the remastered version, which is the one we're talking about, with the one we watched on netflix where they show the the, the ship approaching huh. and outside the enterprise and it's tiny and then as it gets closer and closer it gets huge to the point that it dwarfs the enterprise yeah uh it was almost on the level of the v'ger shot yeah. in um the slow motion picture yeah where we as much as we bash on that movie it is really good in a lot of ways and one of them is that, that shot was well, the, the best thing about it yeah. is in the opening, the part everybody makes fun of is the opening where it takes forever for the Enterprise to get out of its dock. Yeah. Which is something that should be made fun of. But they, make it, a down. Point, <laughs> they make it a point of showing a bunch of humans in the foreground and then in the distance to show how tiny humans are compared, compared to, to the Enterprise. And the Enterprise is even further away and it's so big it can't even fit in the screen. Yeah. And then they show the Enterprise later inside of V'ger, and it is minuscule compared to the interior of V'ger that we can see, let alone yeah. how much there is. So the implication that um, that the it gives a good sense of just how huge it V'ger gives us is. A scale. Yeah, <laughs> and in this one they don't do the humans in comparison to the Enterprise shot, but they do show how big the the Farius was that it? Yeah, Thesarius. Yeah, the Vesarius. It starts with an F, but yeah. it sounds like Vesarius, but it starts with an F. It's yeah. Vesarius. Yeah. Is in relation to the uh, the Starship Enterprise, which is the biggest ship that the Federation has its, in its under its command right now. The Constitution class is the battleship of the yeah. Federation. It's I mean, huge. I know it's much smaller than Enterprise D or whatever, whatever, but this is a, this time period. Yeah, in this time period. It's actually, and from what I've seen of most fan comparisons, and again, these are taken with a grain of salt, Yeah. but I think it's supposed to be about the same size roughly as Voyager. And yeah. Voyager was about half, two-thirds at most, the size of they the Enterprise the D. Same, yeah, and they had about the same amount of crew members and stuff. Yeah, so. I'm just saying it, it's about two-thirds yeah. the size of the Enterprise D, so the Constitution class is probably about two-thirds the size of the Enterprise D. Yeah. But it's still m- tiny compared to the Viserys. Yeah. Uh, so the Viserys shows up and basically sk- takes away all their, their tapes, takes away all, of, like, copies all their, their, their logs, copies all their scans. They have no weapons. Yeah, shuts they, down all their power, No, no basically. engines. Yeah, no engines, no weapons. Yeah. And basically claims they're going to be killed because they're trespassing. And Kirk tries several times to calmly explain that they were just exploring. They came here to make peaceful contact. They were under genuine threat 
so by the just, Rubik's Cube. Yeah. So they had no choice but to blow <laughs> yeah. it up. And each time, like, the, the, the Fasaria shows just how powerful it is. It just blows out their communications or it sends a whine through their whole ship or it yeah. turns off their power without them being able to do anything about it. The only claim to fame that they can even say they made yeah. was that they successfully hacked into the visuals enough to see what they think is Commander Bollock, the guy yeah. who actually captains the Viserys. Yeah. And he looks like a, a creepy, weird... Basically, you know, any alien that... He's got the big, like, gray head yeah. with a huge brain Basically pan. Basically what 1960s thought aliens would look like, always. I would say even 1950s. 50s. Like that, yeah, the, that kind of look. Like the, uh, the, the uh, Buck Rogers in the 25th century, yeah. kind of, what, a few, what they would have viewed an alien <laughs> would look like. You're like, uh, it's such a cheap prop when you first see it. You yeah, know? and they yeah. use this weird watery effect to keep you from being able to see it clearly yeah. on the screen. Uh, so they try out maneuvering and they try out gunning them. Nothing works. And then the order is given by Captain Bollock that he's going to blow them up. And if they have uh, any kind of gods, they can... And deities, yeah. They, they have should, 10 minutes. They have 10 minutes. And over the course of these 10 minutes, everybody starts amping up, especially Bailey. When yeah. it gets to about five minutes, Bailey just breaks down. Yeah. Uh, oh no, eight minutes. Eight yeah, minutes and eight 45 minutes. seconds. He uh, breaks down screaming that the, the rules and regulations don't matter. Why is everyone listening to him? Nothing is being done. Because Spock is scanning and trying to figure out and something. And Sulu's counting down. And they're following procedures. They're trying to find the best solution. But yeah. Bailey is scared and he's reacting like a scared person. Yeah. So eventually he's escorted off the bridge. And then you know, during the sequence is when McCoy comes over and says, look, I'm going to I'm going to challenge that you shouldn't have promoted him. This is, he's obviously... Sh- I, tr- I, I tried to warn you, yeah. and now I'm going to put this on your record. And, and Kirk o- Kirk overreacts slightly. He gets yeah. really mad at him and says, uh, he goes, I'm not bluffing with you, Jim. And then Kirk reacts, "If you then you try to bluff me, Doctor, loud enough for the whole crew to hear. Which again ties into earlier where he's hit with adrenaline, he's getting loud. It doesn't mean he's scared. Yeah. Uh, he's concerned because he has this entire crew under his command and he has to look after them. Yes. And they're probably going to die in the next five minutes. Uh But he still... I think this was an interesting moment. I kind of wish they had cut to Spock like looking, like raising an eyebrow at that. Not because he was offended that Kirk yelled, but because it would be a good way to clarify to Spock, oh, humans do sometimes react like that even when they're not afraid. Yeah. Because he knows Kirk well enough at this point to know that he isn't afraid of dying. Yeah. He's not even... Kirk is, at best, afraid of failure. Yeah. Of failing other people. He's not afraid of losing or of dying, necessarily. No. Um, He was was more afraid of what would happen to his crew rather than himself. And his ship and the mission, the grander mission. He was a man all about those... He was a man all about his duty. Which is another subtextual message of this particular story, is the idea of duty and rules and regulations. What do you owe... What what do what do they mean to you? How far will you go for them? And uh, uh, Kirk tries to play uh, Spock uh, during their conversation about there's nothing to do. Makes a, a comparison to chess, and he goes, "When a chess board, when, when one side has lost all of its pieces, it's over. Yeah. Checkmate." Yeah. And Kirk responds after the bluff line with uh, McCoy, "Not chess, Mister Spock." poker yeah and i love that's how to me that is quintessentially how kirk thinks where the the difference between kirk and spock is that spock can think very well along certain lines but the thing that makes kirk a great commander is a great captain is that 
okay, I can't win thinking like this, so let's try this way. Yeah. He couldn't win at a chess game against the, the Fasarius. They no. were outmatched them in every way. But he can outplay them at poker. Yeah. That's the goal. He can bluff his fucking way out. So he passed, <laughs> he, he tells them that, you know, his compare his compassion for life demands that he tell them that there's a, there's a substance that has been kept from all records mm-hmm. called Corbamite that has been coated on every single Starfleet vessel. And it redirects all energy-based weaponry back at the people who caused it. And no ship has been lost since they have done this. Yeah. And, go ahead. Any, and, and any ship that gets fired upon, like, fires upon them, also gets destroyed, basically. Yeah. Um, I, I was just curious if you wonder, like, maybe that they... In Next Generation, they took that poker reference and decided to incorporate it into Riker's character. <laughs> Maybe. There, there are a lot pretty... of comparisons between Riker and Kirk. Yeah. Because it's interesting that poker becomes such an... Uh, not a, extremely, but a little bit of an important part of character development between the characters in Next Generation. Well, the thing I like about yeah. all the, the games set up in every single Star Trek is yeah. that they are not what you would expect that Star Trek to like. Yeah. Uh, you would think of all the Star Treks that uh, the original series would be the ones where the characters play poker. Yeah. But no, they're the ones that they play, play chess. And it's because it, it actually informs the main character of the or the captain because Kirk is a strategist and that's yeah. what chess is all about. Yeah. And even him shifting to poker was a strategic move. Yes. I have no maneuvers in chess, but I do have a move if we're playing poker, I can lie. Chess is about honesty and outmaneuvering, but when you can't maneuver, but poker is at equal parts about strategy, lying, it's yeah. lying and strategy. So it's it's him switching to poker was a strategic move mm-hmm. because chess wasn't working for him, but he likes strategy. And, and in Next Generation, you would think they would be the ones who are obsessed with chess. So they do play chess, but yeah. their big game is poker. And granted, yeah. Picard only plays once. In the last episode, but it's but established in his past that he used to be a gambler that played poker all the time. Yeah, and he's and he's just regrets that he didn't start playing with the crew earlier. earlier. And the idea of poker is that it's about reading people. It's yeah. about understanding people. Yeah. It's about knowing when they're bluffing. And that is very much what Next Generation is about. It's about yeah. understanding each other. That's why poker is the perfect choice. Uh, in DS9, it's... Um, what is the game they play in DS9? Racquetball, mostly. <laughs> no, uh, uh, there's um, there's a couple games they play in it, but I mean an actual game, an not actual... Ra- not Dom Jot, no, or uh, whatever it was that they played at Quarks. I can't remember what it's called. Shit, <laughs> baseball, <laughs> baseball, baseball. That was it. Yeah, um, baseball. Can't believe I blanked on that. I cannot believe I blanked on that either because it's literally like and you would think mentioned in the first season. And you would think since DS9 was until Discovery the most action-packed Star Trek show that it would not be a really slow game like baseball that would mean to them. But baseball is all about having your pe- people in the right positions to play the game. It's about putting the person who can throw the best as pitcher, the person who can catch the best as Catcher, the person yeah. who can hit the best as your lead baseball, as your lead batsman. Yeah. And the story of DS9 is getting all the right people to handle this horrible event in Starfleet history yeah. in the right positions at the right moment. Yeah. That show, we would not have won the Dominion War if if uh, Cisco, Jadzia, or Cisco, Dax, Kira, Odo, 
uh, Quark, uh, O'Brien, and Bashir weren't all in the exact positions they yeah. needed to be. Especially Odo. Yeah. Odo is one of the main reasons He's, that the Dominion War, we survived yeah. the Dominion War yes. at all. <laughs> He was extremely important to that. And Worf later. Like, yeah. that's actually and one of the Worf, reasons why yeah. the, the the show didn't really cohese until he got there, because he was their missing man. They yeah. didn't have a false team no, until he showed up. they didn't have... They like, tried men like Edmonton, and he they ended up being terrible players, because yeah. they were bad guys. Yeah. Like, uh, they, they had Odo for security, but they didn't have a Starfleet security officer that was working in their mm-hmm. favor. And he became a security second-in-command. Mm-hmm. So, Kira was the second-in-command. She was the first officer, but this was clearly the second officer mm-hmm. here. <laughs> and uh, you could make the argument that Voyager had two main games, Kataskot and uh, that uh, Talos thing, that the, the building the sphere for... Oh, yeah, yeah. For them, the... neither of them are actual games. No. But the point of, uh, can you think of an actual game that Voyager played on a regular basis? I don't no. think there was one past those two. They started with pool, but then they forgot they about it. They kind of abandoned <laughs> they that. They forgot about well, it. Well, it didn't really fit. The reason it I was th- mostly holodeck stories. The reason I think Kataskot worked, especially towards the back end, yeah. so well, is because Kataskot is a game you play with family yeah. and friends. And that's what Voyager was all about. It was about the cohesion of this in, from a group of people to a family. Yeah. And that's something you do with Kataskot. You play that with your family. At least that's from what I we mean, understand. I mean, they had to use a made-up game to find something for the crew, but... Yeah. So, it, it's it overall works. And there really wasn't one in uh, Enterprise, unless no. you count water polo. <laughs> no. <laughs> Which no. they never actually played. No. <laughs> I think the only game we ever actually saw them play was that one episode where they played basketball. And it turned out Flocks was just amazing at it. Why do I not remember this? It was in season three, I think. They were split up on two teams, and they kept having to trade Flocks off because every time they got Flocks the ball, he could throw it over everybody and make a, a net. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. I <sighs> wish I remembered that. Oh, my God. It was either season three or season four. But anyway. That's still funny. <laughs> yeah, but Enterprise is kind of when Star Trek started falling apart. As much as I yeah. like season three and four, it's hard to argue that Enterprise wasn't wobbly. Uh, yeah, it was a little bit... Voyager bit. was boring, but it was a solidly boring show. And like, it fit it, the and, Star Trek mold. Yeah, the cast, at least, was really good, and they did... They were coherent. Mm-hmm. Sorry, we went off on a tangent on that one. Yeah, <laughs> uh, so we're getting back to this. The, the, the Kirk bluffs that the Corbin might, yeah. and the time passes, and they don't, they don't get blown up. Nope. Uh, then uh, Bullock tells them, okay, I'm going to... We're, we're go- he separates part of his ship, sends the rest of the Viserys away yeah. into a, what would be the equivalent of a shuttlecraft, but yeah. it's just a couple of glowing balls. <laughs> and uh, he says, I'm going to tow you uh, to a planet where the First Federation, because this is that's the name of the people that Bullock serves, yeah. is the First Federation. Yeah. Uh, they're going to take them there and drop them off. And, and, and then habitable... Habitable planet habitable for... Planet. Either temporarily or permanently, I don't remember. Yeah. And he's going to blow up their ship. Yeah. And Kirk, and he warns them that any action that might, you know, any attempt to escape or to board their vessel, his vessel, will result in destruction. Yeah. And then Kirk orders the, oh, one thing we skipped and I have to go back to it, just before they were going to be blown up, 30 seconds to go, Bailey comes back on the bridge. Yeah. Completely contrite and he asks to take his uh, post again. And it's because he wanted to die at his post. If he was going to die, he wanted to die as a Starfleet officer. So yeah. props to him. 
And I also, it reminds me, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I'll and then Kirk, of course, get granted him permission yeah. to do so. The, it reminds me of a, a story I actually heard on the West Wing, and I don't know if it actually is in the, a movie or not, I don't remember, but one of the characters was commenting that he was watching a film, and at the very end of the movie, there's three brothers who are going to be executed for treason, because they were trying to become kings or something like that. Hmm. And uh, the eldest brother is trying to comfort the youngest brother to say he should stand and face death on his feet, you know, because he's crying. And the middle brother asks him, you fool, what does it matter how a man falls down? And the eldest brother responds, when the fall is all he has left, it matters a great deal. And that's what Bailey was thinking in that moment. If, all I'm, if I'm just going to die, if that's going to happen, I'm going to die at my post. Hmm. Which is nice. I, I like that Bailey kind of redeemed himself a bit there. Yeah. Um, and then they don't get blown up again, and then they get taken away. And then uh, Kirk orders the entire, en- like, all the engines to overload to the to pull against the, the tractor beam. Yeah, the tractor beam, because he, he realizes that this is a really strong tractor beam, but that's got to be taking a hell of a lot of power. From a, such a small ship. Yeah. So he theorizes, so right when, in the and the moment they, that they, they start slowing down. Well, yeah, he te- yeah. he checks the he has Spock constantly checking the sensor readings, and it shows that the ship is now that the tractor beam has lengthened a yeah. little bit because it's losing a little bit of power. Yeah, and the ship in front of them seems to be slightly less luminous. Yeah, so it's a minimal amount. It's like point one four percent or something like that. Yeah. He mentions, but just they're still like it's just enough to give them hope. Yeah. A so, push. Yeah, so they they go full reverse as hard as they can. They over they nearly blow their engines. Yes, and then they pull free. And as soon as they do, all the lights on the glowing ball shuttle shut down. And Spock comes up on the bridge and says, "Can we please stand still for a bit, Captain? It's uh, the ship's engines can't take any more of this stuff." Yeah. And then uh, yeah. Spock says that might not be advisable because yeah. all Scotty he's doing... said that, yeah. And then... Well, Spock says this, where yeah. he says you that might not be advisable because he, he can call in the Fisarius, yeah. the big ship, and then we're back where we were before. And then Uhura is scanning the channels, and she detects a very weak transmission of command, Captain... A distress signal. Of Captain Bullock saying that he is... Uh, his uh, power systems are down, and his internal life support systems are low, and he needs rescue. And she seriously doubts that the Fisarius would have heard it. Yeah. So uh, Kirk orders the ship turned around to go back and rescue Captain Bullock. And the crew all gives him half a look. And then he immediately goes on the, the intercom, which he did earlier to calm them down. But he's doing it here. He goes, our orders are to seek out new life and to establish peaceful contact with those worlds. And in the light of that, in, in that mindset, we are going to enter aid to Captain Bollock, whose ship appears to be damaged. And he says he's going to take two people with him and only two people. Uh, McCoy, on the off chance that Bollock is in fact injured. Yeah, any of the aliens are injured. And he's going to take Captain Bailey. He's going to take Captain. He's going to take Lieutenant Bailey Captain. on the theory that Lieutenant Bailey has, he's promised him the unknown and it's a good chance to give him. And then Spock tries to volunteer and Kirk does a very smart maneuver where he says, no, Spock. If, the, if I'm wrong and this is a this is a trap, I need you on this ship. Basically, he's saying, if this is a trap, we're all dead. You get the ship out of here. Yeah. The, you go back and warn Starfleet that there's these super powerful ball people. <laughs> <laughs> you got to watch out for them balls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're very mature adults, I promise. There's an entire episode of Futurama where they're fighting balls. <laughs> like, literally, they're just balls. <laughs> 
That's great. I should show you that episode. promised that we are at least 30 and plus. <laughs> it was written, directed, and acted by adults older than us. So yes. I'm, not, I'm not upset about us laughing at the balls ship. <laughs> <laughs> Bubble balls. Yeah. Uh, but morality matters in Star Trek. And I like that. Yes. That just because it would be easier to run away, and yes, this might be a dangerous step, the fact of the matter is they need to do this because it's the right thing to do. No matter what Captain Bullock might have said or done, he might be dying right now. And we can't... We can't just abandon him, even though no. he might... Even though if he was going he was to sincerely blow them up... but he's still a life form. Yeah, and he does have some... I mean, we discussed this later, and I actually think this is part of the reason they wrote the, the Gorn episode, yeah. was that they were technically invading his territory, and yeah. they did ignore a warning buoy. Granted, they didn't know for sure that's what it they was. They didn't know what the hell it was. But technically, they were invading his territory, and they did ignore a warning buoy that basically told them to get back. So it's question. It is understandable, if a little extreme, that he was reacting violently to that. Yes. Uh, he didn't deserve to die for it. They need to establish peaceful connections. They have to. Yeah. Uh, so they transport over, and they see what turns out to be the puppet version, the the weird alien head. Is a just a dummy, which. Is is a good also bait and switch because you because you assume this is gonna be a cheap ass prop and it's yeah. actually literally a dummy prop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then they hear uh, someone calling to them and they walk over and it turns out it's Clint Howard, mm -hmm. uh, Ron Howard's brother, who mm -hmm. would appear two more times in Star Trek as of now. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's only two more times. He yeah. he definitely appears in DS Nine in the episode where they go back to the the walled off city. Yeah. In Earth. Uh, past or present for us. I think yes. it's right around now it was supposed to be happening. I feel that. <laughs> uh, where it was walled off for the homeless and the unemployed and Clint Howard played... Such a good fucking episode. Yeah, Clint, it's called Past Tense, I think. Yeah. The two-parter. Clint Howard shows up in the second part as a... what's called a dim by them. It's people with mental problems Illness. that have made them made them unemployable yeah they're they, they're not being treated they're not getting medication nobody cares basically. they're just mentally damaged they're and not being criminals abandoned. or anything no no people with criminal records weren't allowed in the sanctuary cities so everyone there is literally not a criminal but they're all treated like criminals because they can't care for themselves yeah which is of course a fiction we would never perpetrate in real life in america <laughs> ironic thing uh, but we'll talk about that if I ever bring that episode up. I would not mind watching that episode again. And then he shows up in the finale of season one of Discovery, where he's smoking yeah, he's with... Yeah, he's randomly there. He's smoking uh, alien weed, an alien hookah with Tilly. On... Kronos. On Kronos. He apparently there. Apparently on Kronos. It's one of the few things I actually liked about the, the last episode was of the first season was the establishment that... Kronos did have an entire section walled off, basically, or set aside for uh, non-Klingon peoples to trade and interact with Klingons. Yeah. Mostly with the Orions. Uh, the Orions. This is before they became the Orion Syndicate. They're just the Orion slave trade right now. Yeah. Uh, but they had a, uh, an ambassadorial setup there. Yeah. Um, which is kind of it's kind of unfortunate that Klingons were trading in slaves, apparently. But whatever. Uh, and Clint Howard is not, I don't think he was an Orion, but he was someone who was there. Yeah. And it apparently allowed other species. You know what would have been really nice? If they had had Sulaban there. Mm -hmm. It would have been a nice nod to Enterprise. Oh. That the Sulaban were actually on that site. Because they would have been, they would have met them by now. Yeah, but a lot in of In fact, people... they knew about the Sulaban before they met the humans in the first episode. Yeah, but they didn't really like 
people really didn't like the Sulaban. Yeah, well, it wouldn't be part of the 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 tra- the time people. It would just be the the division, the cabal. It would just be a normal Sulaban, and they were obviously like. It just would have been nice. Plus, it's been out, like almost a hundred years since Enterprise when Discovery was set, or seventy years. The Klingons would have been willing to trade with them at least. Um, but anyway, it would have been a nice little nod. But I don't think there were any. It was just Orions and a few other species there. Yeah. Um, but anyway, Clint Howard's there, and he establishes that everything that he's done is actually a test. He was seeing who they really were, and he actually points up the exact same logic that Osmodius did in um, the the Magics of Megas Two honorable yeah. mention we reviewed, which yeah. is. Your tape. We read your tapes, but they could have been falsified. We didn't yeah. know for sure what you actually wanted until we tested you. Yeah, so, it was a test. So the first test was um, you their curiosity, whether or not they would keep going when confronted with danger. Yeah. The second test was ingenuity, whether or not they would be able to think their way a way out of the destruction of their ship. Also, probably a test to see how they would handle mm-hmm. death if they were confronted with it. Yeah. And then the third test was, are, are they submissive? Would they be willing to just follow, to be abandoned on a planet away from their families and friends and their duty? Just to live. Just to live. And then the last one was whether or not they had compassion. At least that's how I'm reading it. It isn't established in the story, but that's how I'm, I'm choosing to read it. Curiosity, yeah. intuition, um, or curiosity, in, ingenuity, um, submissiveness, and compassion are what they were testing for. Yeah. To see if they were possible trades. It's not made clear if the First Federation was planning... was. It's not made clear if the First Federation was seeking diplomatic ties. And this is how they're testing to see if the Federation if is worth like it. the last of his time. Yeah, it's not made clear. Because no. it's established by Clint Howard that that little ship he's on is literally runs the entire Facerius. Which is huge. He has yeah. no other crew members. No. And... So it's not sure if he's supposed to be like the last, like it's like a last guardian situation, like yeah. that one episode of Enterprise or Next Generation where they meet the Ferengi for the first time and there's yeah. that last old man on the last alien Jakong Empire station. Yeah. It's not clear if he's supposed to be like that or if this is the beginning Vanguard. Like he's part like of Like the- there's a giant fleet of these and yeah. they each are run by a different person and they're going to different parts of the galaxy. Yeah, or if there's like they're just patrolling the edge of the First Federation space yeah. and whenever a new species shows up they put them through these tests to see if they're worthy of interaction with. Or trade or anything like that. And we never actually get to see them any in any other Star Trek I'm That's aware of. That's a sad thing that, they, that nothing really comes of this other than the Corvamite maneuver is mentioned again in a later episode. Yeah. But overall, the story has no real effect on the universe. Mm-hmm. The, the the biggest problem, I think, with this episode being redone is that Clint Howard is in this, but he's only like seven. Yeah. Like, he's really young, and it's implied that his entire species never gets particularly large. Yeah. That's actually why he used a puppet, because no one finds him intimidating. Yeah. And as a result, it would mean hiring other child actors, which are notoriously difficult to find good yeah. ones. Yeah. So if they wanted to bring the 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 first federation back, they either back, had to rewrite it that they could look like adults, or they have to hire children. <laughs> yeah, or they'd have to do some really crappy CGI. We're not going to do that. <laughs> I mm-hmm. hope not. <laughs> I hope not. But I do think that they are an interesting concept. I don't even think we get to hear the name of his species. We get to hear his name, the name of his ship, and that his his confederation is called the First Federation. Yeah. But we don't actually get to hear anything specifically about him. We don't know if they eventually joined the Federation. I don't think they ever showed up, their territories ever listed on any maps. No. Establishing the Alpha Quadrant or the Milky Way Galaxy in general. 
Um, but I, I kind of, there is one other callback to him, though, in, yeah. in a fan film that we've watched of Gods and Men. Because mm. in Of Gods and Men, they go to an alternate timeline where Kirk never took over the Enterprise. And as a result, in the pilot episode, uh, what's his face? The, the guy with the gold, they got the gold eyes. Oh, uh, I can't remember. Matthews or Maddox. I think it started with an M. I think it might have been Matthews. Madison? I don't know. I mean... But anyway, he uh, he was never killed as he was by Kirk because Pike was actually in charge of the command and he couldn't bring him... He either was unable or unwilling to kill a crew member. And as a result, he established what is essentially the Terran Empire in our universe where he's the new emperor using his telepathic abilities to control... Uh, older ships and their captains. And he's basically conquered everything from the Klingons, the Orions, everything's under Mitchell. His Mitchell. Uh, the Klingons, the Orions, the, the, the Gorn, they're all under his command. And there's a loose alliance of ships that are fighting against his ships at the end of the story. Yeah. And one of those ships is the Glowing Balls ship. Yeah. It's a nice callback to this particular one. But Of Gods and Men, if you're a fan of the original series and you've never seen Of Gods and Men, yeah. track down a copy on YouTube or something. Trust me, it's you're going to have to forgive the cheap effects. It yeah, is you're really going to have to forgive cheap, the cheap budget. Because it's a fan film. But, but they work really hard to tie in as many original series episode ideas as they, they possibly could. The, and they got a lot of the actors throughout different series in it. Too. Yeah, the girl that played uh, Lita... In DS9, the, the Bajoran lady that dated Bashir for a while and got married to Na, uh, Rom. Uh, Rom, she plays an Orion slave girl. Uh, there's uh, Tuvok, basically. Yeah, playing himself. Yeah. And he's also the director of the movie, of the miniseries. The there. Uh, so is the guy that plays a... Uh... Martok. Yeah. He plays another Klingon in this one. Yeah, there's uh, the... Don from the... Star Trek episode. Amok Time. Time. The guy that Spock's wife or, eventually married. She He actually marries Uhura in, in this, this universe. universe. Yeah. Uh, the kid who plays Benjamin Sisko's son, yeah. uh, Mr. Lofton, he plays Uhura and Stan's grandson. Yeah. Uh, and Which is neat. Yeah. And um, There's a lot of different actors. There's And of course the captain from the opening of Generations who played the captain of the Enterprise B yeah. is, th is he's one of the three main characters and it's one of the only Star Trek stories you'll ever find where it's all about Kirk but Kirk isn't in it at um, Also, uh, what's her face? Uh, the yeoman in this episode, Rand? Yeah. She's also in it. Yeah, she plays Mitchell's love interest. Something like that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it. I haven't seen it in a while, and for I a, didn't. And Eric showed it to me a little too early. For honestly. a fan film, it is legitimately good. And if you're a Star Trek fan, especially the original series, I would recommend it because it does bring a lot of stuff from all the different Star Treks into focus yeah. uh, into one story. I probably need to rewatch it because he showed it to me before I could recognize all the actors in it. Well, the stories are tied to the the original series, not really anything other than the opening of Generations. Yeah, but I didn't so. recognize who the hell those people were. So I understand, but a lot of them aren't the same characters anyway. Every character that's the same is already established in the original series. So from a story perspective, you didn't need to see anything else. Tuvok wasn't established in the original series. One character, and spoilers, he dies early on. I know. I, just, I didn't recognize it. Oh, also the guy who... would have added to it. True. Also the guy who plays uh, the Vulcan ambassador in Enterprise. He's yeah. in that one as a shapeshifter. Yeah. 
So, yeah, I'd recommend Of Gods and Men. Track it down. Yeah. It, forgive the cheap budget. The camera doesn't move that much and the sets look like crap. It's done but, for love. Yeah, but it's done, it was written really well and the performances are pretty solid. Uh, so, anyway, uh, there really aren't any other callbacks to the Corbinite Maneuver or the alien species of the First Federation, which is unfortunate. It ends with Bailey, uh, with uh, uh, Bullock asking one of them to stay because he's, he's lonely. He wants company and companionship in a short time for them to talk and work out, I guess, trade deals. Yeah, and Kirk is like, hey, Bailey, do you know who would volunteer for this? And Bailey's like, I'll do it. Yeah, he volunteers, and then uh, Bollock asks, oh, are you the best of your species? And he goes, no, I'm actually going to make a lot of mistakes. And then Kirk goes, yeah, but you'll learn more about us from his mistakes, and I get a better officer and in return. And, and Bollock's laughing yeah, about it. Bollock just does his, ah! <laughs> And then he's like, let me show you around my ship. I'm very proud of her, basically. Yeah. He says him and Kirk have a lot in common, which we also is a line that was re- said in the uh, the first Romulan episode. You and I are a lot of, are of a kind, Captain. Yes. So Kirk has a lot in common with other captains of other ships, apparently. Yeah. All of them. Uh, <laughs> apparently. So uh, that's that's it for the Carbonite Maneuver. It's a good, solid episode. It's yeah. not among my favorites, but it's on, among Megan's favorites. And yes. That's what we're here for. Yes. Uh, but I don't want to make I it sound like it was an important episode. Yeah, honestly. but I don't want to make it sound like I'm knocking it. It is still a really good episode. It's just not among my favorites of the original series. Yeah, I like slow burns, and this was a slow burn that works for me. <laughs> uh, the only thing worth noting in the IMDb trivia is that uh, Michael Dunn, who was popular at the time for his role as Doctor Loveless in Wild Wild West, the TV series, which was a a little person actor, one of the first fairly well-known ones in America, was originally considered for the part of Bollock. Mm. However, uh, Gene Roddenberry thought that something a little more weird would be more interesting. Yeah. So they hired an actual six-year-old to play the part. Yeah. Uh, Dunn later appeared in, as Alexander in the Star Trek, the original series, Plato's Stepchildren, the one with the, the people who can control people mentally, the first yeah. interracial kiss episode. Yeah, yeah. That was Ale- that was Dunn. That was Michael Dunn playing Alexander. Mm. So he would have been in this episode, and he could have been in both, honestly. It's kind of more interesting that it's Clint Howard, just because Clint Howard is one of those actors that if you've ever seen a B-movie, you've probably seen He's Clint in, Howard. You've probably seen him there. <laughs> he, he is the Sam Jackson of, Cle- of B-movies. He's in yeah. every single one he can be, and he always delivers them his lines perfectly. I think the only starring role he's ever had in one was the Ice Cream Man, where he played a, like a, a serial killer ice cream man. <laughs> Yeah, he's he's a good he's a good sport though, from what I understand. He's a good man and a good sport by yeah. all accounts. Uh, but the Corbin Night Maneuver was a good solid movie or a good solid episode. <laughs> yeah. And uh, like I said before, we'll be gone for at the very least another week. We yeah. should be back hopefully the week after that, but no guarantees. Uh, in the meantime, uh, this is Eric. This is Megan. And we're going to sign off. You guys have a, a wonderful day. Make make sure you uh, your Corbinite is well shined. I guess. It doesn't exist. <laughs> How do you know? It doesn't exist, Eric. Well, technically, none of Star Trek exists, but Shut we still the talk fuck about up. it. Yes, it does, liar. Yes. Then Corbomite exists. It exists in our heart. <laughs> <laughs> and the problem is, it's a non existing item in Star Trek. <laughs> so Corbomite exists in our hearts? No wonder it's hard to make a whole ship out of it. I hate <laughs> you. <laughs> no, you don't. All right, everybody. Have a good one. Good night. Bye.